We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 5. We're going to talk about the parable of the sower, and we're going to read from verses 5 all the way to verse 21. Now, a little exercise here. I want you to notice how many times the word hear or heard is mentioned here in this text. This was something uh, recently as I was reading this passage. I guess I just overlooked it before how many times the word hear or heard is mentioned. And there's a reoccurring theme here. Uh, that I want to preach to you about this morning. The title of this message is going to be Heedful Hearing. Heedful Hearing. And we'll trust God to help us. Look there if you would. Luke chapter 8 and verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it had sprung up. It was withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold, or mainly that saying in great abundance. And when he had said these things, notice this, he cried with a loud voice in my mind, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Notice there the words hear. Verse 9, And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. They're referencing back to the book of Isaiah. Verse 11, Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no roots, which for a while believe, and in a time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection." But that on the good ground are they which is in a honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Look there at 16. Let's go to verse 21. Now he's going to talk here. It seems to shift from the parable, but the concept is the same. As you will see, you'll hear the words hear and heard again. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel or putteth it under a bed but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. Then came he, his mother, and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press or the crowd. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. Notice verse 21, our last verse. And he said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Notice that last phrase, which hear the word of God and do it again. I want to talk to you about heedful hearing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you in prayer once again. 
We need your help, Holy Ghost, in this time. God, we want to hear, God, what you want to say unto the church. God, we need your touch. We need your clarity of mind. We ask you, God, that you would minister and touch in a mighty way. Strengthen in this time. God, help us understand the importance of hearing the Word of God and doing it, Lord. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us in this time. God, minister, touch God, give us clarity of mind, and touch your people in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, God, for your goodness. And we ask you, God, that you would just anoint us for the next few moments. Help us, God, this morning. Minister if you would, dear Jesus. Minister if you would. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Meet us this morning in Jesus' name. We love you and we thank you. Amen and amen. You may be seated here this morning. If there was to be a verse in all of that reading that we just did that we could uh, draw a thesis statement from or phrase, it would be found in verse 18 where it says, Therefore, take care how you hear or take heed to how you listen. Basically saying, we need to be careful how we listen. Now, when I was younger, my parents would often tell me, Derek, you're hard of hearing. Now, that was not because I had something physically wrong with me, but I had a tendency as a child to hear what they were saying, but not really hear what they were saying, if you know what I mean. I knew they made a noise. I know they had said something, but my father would often have to do something to get my attention, to let me know, son, when I speak to you, I don't only want you to hear a sound. I want you to hear the words and to understand what I am saying. Now, we know what it is to know somebody that is a good listener. Amen. And we know when somebody's not really listening to what we are saying. But good listeners make good company. They make good friends. They make good learners. They make good teachers. They make good counselors. What that means is that they understand. They listen to you. And they understand the words that you're saying. They take it in. They process it. And there they begin to, they're, they're good hearers, good listeners. Well, when we come to the Bible, this is something that God really expounds to us several different times. He wants us to be listeners and hearers and doers of the Word of God. Now, I've been preaching long enough. I hear recently, I, I did a little calculations. I've been pastoring now almost seven years, and I did a little uh, calculation one time, trying to include some different meetings that I've been a part of. But in the last seven years, I have preached anywhere between 1,500 and 1,600 times, either teaching or preaching or counseling or more ministering in that concept. But I've learned this, that in the years of ministry, I've preached a lot of services where I could tell that some folks just were not listening. I mean, they were there and they were kind of listless learners there. They're, you know, they're, they're there and they kind of, the only time they would look up if you made a loud noise or if it got real quiet for a few moments. Amen. They kind of look up just 
just trying to figure out what's going on. Why did you get so loud? I don't have a clue what you said, but I know you got loud. And other side, why did it get quiet all of a sudden? I read this from one writer one time. It was actually Charles Spurgeon, and often called the Prince of Preachers. He preached, if you ever read his biographies, how much he would preach. And he said this about those type of listeners. He said, sometimes ministers notice this. They discover in various parts of the audience in the room, those whose countenances would defy all study. They are perfect blanks. No more life appears than there would be discovered in a gallery of statues. Some will be asleep. Some there will be hear the sound of the words and maybe look up for a moment. The sentences fall on their organs like the ordinary ticking of a clock. They disturb no sensibility whatsoever. We should judge that they are attracted to no attention of any sort of what you are saying. They have no curiosity in what you are saying. And we are living in a sad day when the Word of God has that effect on believers. Now I've learned this years ago. I have kind of, I had to come away from something in my early ministry. I am not a performance preacher. Amen. I'm not here to perform and I do not preach to perform. I am not deceived to think that I've got to manipulate my actions and movements and voice to get your attention. This is what you get. Amen. I'm not interested in entertainment. I do not preach to just try to sermonize. I have learned that the greatest joy that I can have and what brings me uh, just peace in my ministry is depending on the Word of God to work. I cannot get everybody's attention. I often challenge my congregation back home. I said, here I am this morning and I'm a preach from the same book I preached from last week and you're going to hear the Word of the Lord, but it's up to you to listen and to take heed to what is being said. Brothers and sisters, yes, there's effort that goes behind the pulpit, but there's got to be the effort in the pews of those who come to church prepared to receive from God. Again, I am, I'm astounded and wonderfully happy to see the anticipation for this meeting because it gives the minister the liberty to come here and to teach and preach what God has given them. Now, when it comes to this idea of, of listening and hearing, you'll find that this is a theme in Scripture. For example, the command to hear the word of the Lord is found 35 times in the Old Testament. You will hear phrases like this, hear, O Israel, or listen to me, or today, hear my voice. And when we get to the ministry of Jesus, again, the same clarion call is given out. People need to hear what is being said. He that has ears, let him hear. You've got to make your mind up to hear what God is saying. And we are warned frequently time and time again in the scriptures to understand that Jesus needs to be heard. Even on the day at the transfiguration of Jesus on that mountain, when the Lord was with Peter, James, and John, the voice of the Father came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved Son. You need to listen to Him. Listen to Him. He is my beloved Son. And the call is the same to us today. We need to hear what Jesus is saying to the church, what Christ is saying to the church. And I would even believe it's safe to say what He's already said to the church. One writer said years ago, you want to hear God speak? Read the Bible. You want to hear Him speak audibly? Read it out loud. I know there's times God speaks to us in unique ways. 
But I'm not of the charismatic mentality that I eat breakfast with angels every morning and God's bringing me a special word. There's two things about the will of God you always must understand. We have what's called the revealed word of God. Will of God is already written. I don't have to pray about some things for God to speak to me. He's already spoken to me through the revelation of Scripture. I don't have to pray about leaving my wife. I know what the Bible says. I don't have to pray about going to church. I know what the Bible says. It's already revealed to me. I know there's unique times where we need God to give us a unique sense of direction when we're making decisions. But I have found great comfort once again right here that the inerrancy of Scripture, the rightness of Scripture, the revelation of God, and the sufficiency of Scripture, it is sufficient for us today in a culture that does not believe in absolutes, in a culture that does not believe that we have any moral absolutes. God has already spoken. Now as we read this morning about the parable of the sower and the seed. You, you know this so well. But again, I want to highlight this to you. talks about in verse 12, the seed that fell beside the road. And it's saying, look, these are those that hurt. Yeah. Verse 13, those in the, in the rocky soil. And again, it goes on to say, these are those when they hear the seed that fell among the thorns. These are those that have heard. And the seed on the good soil, these are those who have heard the Word of God, but they've kept the Word of God. Again, the emphasis is simply this. They have heard. Some hear superficially. Some hear emotionally. Some hear psychologically. Some hear, te- hear temporarily. But others hear with a good and a honest heart. And you've got to make your mind up here this morning and for the rest of your life what kind of hearer are you going to be are you going to be one of those that just take it into your psyche you like what you felt in the service when everybody's saying oh man amen but you've got to make the application when you're laying on your bed and temptation is there and heartache is there you've got to be a hearer you've got to have a good and honest heart it matters how you listen so Jesus would tell us be careful Take heed to how you hear. Now the effects on the human hearts are laid out here. and We won't spend much time here because I want to get to the heart of the mess, the meat of the message. But the effect of the truth on human hearts are mentioned in several different ways. It talks about the wayside hearers. It talks about these are those that hear. But then it says the birds come along. I like what one writer said. They're just the devil's birds. And they come along and they take the seed. And then it talks about those who it falls on the stony ground and the Word of God is there, but it's, it talks about it lacks moisture. It would say in the other synoptic Gospels that the sun comes and scorches them. It talks about these are temptations that take away the seed. It talks about those that it falls on the thorny ground. And it talks about the cares of life. It talks about the pleasures, the desires for riches. It comes and it chokes out the Word of God but again it talks about those who are good listeners and good hearers you're the good ground it says they have that true and honest heart they take it and they keep the word of God so we could stop right there and make our first thought what kind of soil are you this morning and these soils do exist (laughs) preachers you understand Sunday school teachers you know You teach something and though you can tell the seed has been cast. 
But they come back the next Sunday and they did not keep what was distributed to them. They do not have the good and honest heart that is able to take the word of God and they're able to walk circumspectly before the Lord. Now know what happens here because again I've been here and sometimes I get here and have to pray through about it. Sometimes as the sower of the seed you can get discouraged. Right? And I don't mind to tell you that I try to be as transparent as possible. Recently, you can ask Brother Israel. I'll tell him. I texted him one morning, him and a group of other guys. I said, Brethren, can you pray for me this morning? I said, I felt like the Lord's revealed to me in prayer that I have been a little prideful and hadn't asked for prayer like I needed to. I need other brothers. I said, I don't feel like giving up. I said, I'm not discouraged in that sense. I said, but I'm about to mount the pulpit again. And I'm telling you, I get frustrated at times with different individuals who take the word of God, who take the precious seed, and they just don't seem to get it. They don't seem to live it. And they come back with the same old problems. So you know what we tend to do as ministers and preachers? Sometimes we say, maybe I should keep the seed in the bag. Or you can get discouraged. But we've got to always remember, we've got a twofold promise in the scriptures. First, it tells us there's a promise about the seed in Isaiah 55. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that which goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in a thing whitherto I sent it. Our job is to sow the seed, and the word of God will not return a void. It's going to do something in somebody's life if it blesses them or judges them. It's going to do something. And in Psalms, there's a promise to the sower. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bear precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be a harvest at some point in time. God takes good records. So this morning, as I am preaching to to you this morning, I'm asking you the question, what kind of listener are you? What kind of hearer are you? And I'm going to show you, and I feel these are some things I've seen in Scripture and studied and taken time to study, that there are some marks of a true hearer. Here tonight, we know there's bad soil. We know there are those who do not keep the Word of God. But here, I believe as we continue to read on there, starting in verse 16 through 21, we are giving certain aspects or certain marks about what good soil will look like and what the Word of God will do in their life. And again, you've got to ask yourself here this morning, am I good soil? And if I am good soil, some of these characteristics are going to be there. They're going to be working in my life. Am I a true hearer or not? Is the the question that we are asking. We find our first mark here this morning in verse 16. And then my first point would be this, true hearers are evangelists. Listen in verse 16. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, 
that they which enter in may see the light. Jesus used this idea several times. He used it many different times. You would find it there on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5 and 15. You'll find it again in Luke chapter 11 and verse 33. It's the idea, it's a rhetorical idea that this, if you light a candle, you do it for a reason and how foolish would it be to cover it with the vessel, to put it under a bed and set your house on fire. How silly would it be to do any of that you put it on a candlestick so it can show light to others that they can see the way I'll read it to you there in Luke chapter 11 verse 33 Jesus says it again no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar under a peck measure or a basket but on a lampstand in order that those may enter in may see this is a self evident truth nobody lights a lamp to put it out you light a lamp to give light and the idea is this what is he talking about he's talking about there's those who have the knowledge and the revelation of God there's a reason it's coming to your life there's a reason that God has given you a message there's a reason that you have been born again. He's litten you or you have you've accepted this word. And why? Not that it can be extinguished, but that you can show light to others. This is why I say true Christians live evangelistically. They hear with the view to proclaim. Amen. We've all seen those type churches that are my foreign no more. The frozen chosen. They don't want anything to go forward in life. I'll tell you why God's given WPC a strong message and good teaching to proclaim, to work. To show others. To be an example. In the Old Testament, yes, Israel was to be a light unto the nations. In the New Testament, Christ is the sunrise of righteousness. He shed His light on those who are sitting in darkness. Luke chapter 1. But then you and I as believers are like candles that are set on a hill. Look at Revelations there. The church has a witness. It has a light. Why? Not for it to be extinguished, but for us to be a light unto the world. As we look to the scriptures, this is so evident. True believers ought to be those who want to tell others. I don't get people that get saved and want to be clandestine and hidden. I was trying to work with a gentleman here recently. Years ago, he was homeless and and, and helped him get on his feet. And guess what he did? Took off. Comes back calling me and texting me. Brother Derek, oh, I need help again. You know what I feel like saying? I think I'll keep the seed and give it to somebody else, but i got to keep the sowing. I start helping him again, and guess what takes place? Here it is, he gets saved, and he said, I'm working on something. I'll come to church soon, and I'll do this soon. And I said, are you really born again? He said, yes. I said, what are you trying to hide? What do you know? If you're born again, you want everybody to know there's been a change in your life. Something the contemporary charismatic churches have gotten away from. I still believe water baptism is an important part of the church. Public proclamation. Something's taking place in my life. And I want to tell this congregation and I want the world to know I'm going down. There's been a work in my life. I'm coming up a new man. I do not believe that baptism saves you. But if you're saved, you ought to want to get baptized. It's public proclamation. Proclamation. 
think of the woman at the well. She didn't leave there and say, I don't think I'm going to tell nobody today. Matter of fact, read there in the book of John chapter 4. It says, many believe because of her going around telling people, there's a man that told me everything about myself. We need to be a light. We need to be a testimony in this world. We don't need to hide it. Amen. The church should not be ashamed of our message. We should not feel like the outcasts. No, we're the only hope in this nation. Amen. I know they say, well, science and, and intellect and rationalism, they think we're crazy, but they're wrong and we're right. We've got the right right message. Let us shine forth in this world. What's so interesting about this, I want to show you today that you have an obligation about this. When Jesus is speaking to His disciples in Matthew 10 and 27, He says, What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. What, I, what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. In Jesus' ministry, there's a certain design. He would speak in parables on purpose. Look there, look there in the book of Isaiah. The chapter fails me. Early part of Isaiah talks about this. It's mentioned again in Matthew chapter 13, right after the parable of the sower and the seed. It all contrasts and references together. The idea is this. He speaks in parables on purpose. He sheds some light. And those who want to know truth will begin to inquire about what was spoken. How did they inquire? Most likely in my mind, they would go to the disciples and say, hey, you're close to Jesus. What did he mean by this parable? Or what does he mean when he said this the other day? That's why the disciples would be called aside. And Jesus to speak to them and whisper in their ear if you would as it says in Matthew he says but what you hear he says you need to be a light he says you need to proclaim it on the rooftops those who really want to know truth are going to seek further truth that was a part of the ministry of Christ likewise in this day those who seek truth need to find them a good Bible believing church individualism is trying to ruin the church Church has become something nowadays. It's a, as Brother Woods, and, and I, may, I think he last night he mentioned the idea of just social gatherings. Have you noticed the trends of the contemporary church? I have a relative. I have several relatives who are involved in pastoring mega churches. I pastor in Hampton, Virginia. I have a cousin that pastors in Virginia Beach, 45 minutes away. He runs around 2,000 people. I run around 60. <laughs> 50 if it's raining. <laughs> Lord, don't let it snow. <laughs> but if we're not careful, we look at that and say, oh, they're successful. No. I've sat down and picked their minds about their mentality of evangelism. I'm telling you folks, they got it all wrong. If Jesus went to church, he wouldn't go to that one. <laughs> I heard one tell me, and he goes to a church that runs 800. He said, we don't, we, he said, on Sunday mornings, it's all about reaching the lost. He said, we start in the parking lot. Almost like, and this is just, if I was to describe it, you almost have to trick them into the foyer. Give them enough coffee and donuts. Really, and it's like, and then if they make it inside, you strike up the band. And then you go to a sermon series. And one time I looked at the sermon series and they preached for five weeks on a sermon called The Elephant in the Room. I don't know if elephant's in the Bible. A unicorn, which is a rhinoceros, but not an elephant. 
I said, what does that have to do for six weeks? You're exegeting a man's book and you're not exegeting God's book. That's the problem. And then they said, if they can sign up for a small group. He said, we really start texting them. And if they come to a small group, we'll begin talking about sin in the small group. That's not how it works, brothers and sisters. God's given us a clear message. A simple message. Repent and turn from your sins to who? To Jesus Christ, the Savior of your soul, who's taken the penalty of your sins. There's a message. It's got to be clear. The church is to be the clarion call. Just like they would come to the disciples, let our church have the clear light and the clear testimony. Let them see the light of the gospel. 1 Peter 2 and 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy nation. Show food. What are we here for? That you should show forth the praises of Him that called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Tells us in Philippians 2 and 15, you need to live a blameless and a harmless life, sons of God, without rebuke. Why do we need to live holy? Because in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, why do we have standards? Why do we have a a high calling and characteristics for the ministry? Because this is a crooked world and they need to see a straight church. We have churches that live in constant moral defeat and they preach from that position. There's no calling to blamelessness no more among the holiness ministers. Why? Because we live in a world, I've seen it before, these charismatic ministers, they'll go up in the pulpit of a charismatic church. There's all these men there and they say, out there you're struggling with pornography? Me too. That's what they'll tell you. And they find this, this false idea of ministry that you struggle and I struggle But there's no victory. There's no holiness. Brothers and sisters, when we're talking about things like that, when you look at the early church, they had a rule. They had a standard. Say, we need to be blameless and holy in a world. Why? Because there's a crooked world and they need to see the difference. The Apostle Paul standing before Agrippa. I love a good testimony. And Paul would testify. Get him before a king. What's he going to do? He ain't going to get his guitar out and sing. He ain't going to tell you about the mega church he got up the road. (laughs) Hey, Agrippa. One day, I was going down the Damascus Road. And I had some letters. And a light shone at midday, brighter than the sun. Knocked me off my horse. The Lord talked to me. Why are you persecuting thou me? But he would go on to tell Agrippa. He said, then the Lord would speak to me and tell me in Acts 26 and 18, what am I to do? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of their sins and the inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He's basically going on to tell them, I am to be a light among the nations. So every true hearer, every true Christian is in this context here today. If you are good soil, you are going to be evangelistic. You're going to be a light. We need to be lights. 
Second mark of good soil is that true hearers are going to be authentic. We're not going to be marked by hypocrisy. Again, all of this, when you, I've read the verses to you, you've seen the connecting theme of hearing. Verse 17 seems a little different. For nothing is secret. He just told them that you're lights. But he says nothing is secret that shall, be met, shall not be made manifest. Neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Here the Lord is letting them know that about this authenticity. He's saying, look, while I'm talking to you about being a light, let me remind you that not only you can be marked as one that is a light that's shining, but the light of God is going to shine in your heart as well and show your true condition. Again, this is mentioned so many times. Matthew 10 and 26. Fear them not, therefore, for there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid, that shall not be made known. The end of a book of Ecclesiastes. Let's let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is it? To fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Verse 14 of the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. For God shall bring every work into judgment, every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He goes on later to tell them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, for there's nothing covered. Brothers and sisters, you cannot hide anything from God. What we need in these last days is the need, we need to be connected by authenticity. Why do I fellowship with you all? Because I know you're authentic. I believe it. I believe when one of you speak to me, you say, Brother Derek, I'm living for the Lord. I can trust what you're saying. I don't have to worry about you going back on your word. Why? Because we're authentic. What we've got to understand of true soil is this, is that if you are truly a hearer of the Word of God, you are going to search your own hearts. You're going to look in your own spirit. You're going to beware of the leaven of lawlessness and of the leaven of the Pharisees. You don't want to be found with unauthentic thoughts towards God because you realize this, whatever's in here is going to show up out there. Look, I've been deceived before. I've pastored long enough. I know what it is to have the heartache of what I thought was true because they come find, found out it's not authentic. Right. You to tell you what that says about them? They were not good soil. Because good soil and the true hearer is not only going to be defined about what they don't do in front of crowds. But in the secret places of your mind and your heart, you'll be a doorkeeper of your thoughts. You see, there are certain sins we've learned to sanitize. Sins of the mind. Can I tell you, before some things ever happened to where everybody found out about it in public or the action was committed, there was something going on in that heart that they never learned to deal with when it's just them and God. See, this is where the conviction of the Holy Ghost comes in. There's some things God's going to convict you about right there in your thought life. He's going to tell you, quit looking at that. He's going to tell you, quit going there. Quit reading that. Delete that off your phone. Shut down social media for about a month or two. 
He'll come into that life. He comes into the thought life and he says, look, if you don't learn to police your thoughts, this is going to grow and get out of control. And see, brothers and sisters, marks of true soil is this. God, if you convict me in my thoughts, if you convict me about any of those things, I want to deal with it when nobody else sees it. It's just me and you, oh God. It's just me and you. And if we learn to police our thoughts and be the doorkeeper of our minds and cast down those imaginations, you ain't got to worry about it getting to a place that the heavy hand of God's chastisement is going to bring it all out. And you're laying there flat on your back. Why? You've learned to deal with your heart. That's marks of true soil. True hearers are going to police their hearts. Thirdly, true hearers, true fruitful hearers are going to be those who are fruitful. Good soil will produce fruit. Look at verse 18. This brings us back to our thesis. Take heed therefore how you hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. What is he referring to here, Brother Derek? There's those who have and there are those that have not. Who are those that have? It's those who have received the Word of God, those who have eternal life, those who are authentic, those who are genuine in their salvation, those who have the kingdom. They are going to bring forth fruit. How can you tell when somebody's truly saved? They'll begin to have more. More. I don't believe in a salvation that doesn't produce any fruit in a life. Matter of fact, I've often, I'll tell you where I wrestle at, I'll be transparent. Sometimes I thought they got saved. When they walk away from God in two weeks, I think to myself, they ain't get saved. Ain't no way. You ain't no way you can go from being born again to forfeiting grace all in two weeks and say you've had a legitimate... You may have felt bad about getting your hand caught in the cookie jar. You may not like the consequences of your life. You may not like the position you're being in. But the problem is, the reason there's no fruit is because you're not saved. It's that simple. You know, we want to put all these labels on it. You know, so-and-so has this disorder and they have this issue and all this. You either have or you have not. Is it all right to do that? Yes. You know, we would save our, our, our minds a lot of heartache in these last days. Have minds and hearts a lot of heartache in these last days. If we draw it that clear, you have it or you don't have it. If you have it, there's going to be fruit. There's going to be more. More of what? More desire to hear. More understanding of what you have heard. More faithfulness. More dedication. There's going to be blessings in that life and not just financial blessings. A lot of times people believe they get saved and they want everything financially to work out. Went out in the world and they got $80,000 in credit card debt. Get saved and they want God to cut up the credit cards and just cancel all their debts. I preached in the local jailhouse in Edenton for about two years. Every, every Monday night I go in that place as a young preacher and I yell so loud in that little cell they probably thought I was crazy. Feel a little boldness every now and then. Look up the cameras and tell the guards they need a little bit of it too. (laughs) 
But you'd be surprised how many men there and they would cry. Come back the next week. They're all upset. I ain't come. You know, well, I said, where's so-and-so? Why ain't you come to church? Because, you know, he thought things would work out different. I said, what do you mean? He's beat his wife and he shot at the neighbor just because he prayed one time. They think the fruit of salvation is going to be God coming in and knocking out the guards and opening the prison doors. No, salvation's an inner work and there's going to be consequences for your actions, but there's going to be more in your life. There's going to be more. Jesus reminds us that spiritual growth follows this. When we have God, when we, when we receive the Word of God and we're living the Word of God, more is going to be built on that. You are going to grow in your experience with God. There are some people who think that they can be a Christian and maybe believe there's some moment in life that they just they, they got saved or they prayed and that's all that's required. But no, if you never obey it, you'll never be blessed. You'll never be fruitful. We have to understand there comes fruit. Yes, it comes from the salvation. It comes from being good soil. And guess what? Fruit don't always grow overnight. It's a process. Stay in there and let God. I'll do the work. Now, good soil. I just want to read this to you because the Bible's the best thing to interpret the Bible. Luke 8 and 8 talks about the seed that falls on the good ground. It says it sprang up and it bare fruit a hundredfold. It just means a lot. Now, I worked in the grain industry to know if it bears a hundredfold, something's unique. They're going to get that seed and they're going to sell it for a lot of money. Something special about that. When you look at the same, uh, the parallel to that. In the book of Matthew it says, and they shall have more abundance. Who are these people? Again, verse 15 of Luke 8. It says, those who have an honest and a good heart and having heard the word, they keep it. Some translations say they hold on to it. And what does it do? It brings forth fruit with patience. Let me ask you this, because I know this isn't always flashy. We want everything to happen very quickly. I believe in revivalism. I know there's seasons we have unique moves of God, but I'm also learned this as a minister and as a Christian. You've got to learn to walk with the Lord. Do you take the Word of God that's preached in this church or whatever church you attend, and as the Bible says, do you keep it? Do you hold on to it? Let me give you my fourth point. I want to share some other thoughts with you. Fourthly, true hearers are those who are obedient. Now we look here in verses 19 through 21. This is kind of a unique part of the text. We find the story also mentioned there in the book of Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3. Jesus' mother Mary and his brethren are coming to look for Jesus. And they come and there's a large crowd now, everything seems simple about this. Some of you even look at the response of Jesus and say, man, I can't believe Jesus would talk to his mama that way. But read all of them. Read Mark chapter 3. Jesus has come to his own town. And the Pharisees and everybody saying, Jesus is crazy. He's a madman. Matter of fact, he's demon-possessed infuriating the very religious leaders of the day. Mary and the brothers come. And the sisters, we got to go get Jesus. They get there and there's a large crowd. 
You see, Jesus wouldn't have been Catholic. You get it? He didn't look to Mary and say, I'm going to obey you over it. No, no, no. This massive crowd, they, it's out of control, Jesus. You've got the religious leaders infuriated. They're saying that you're, you've got the power of Beelzebub and, and saying you're putting yourself in a terrible position. Why don't you come home? Why don't you let it simmer down? And the Lord's crowd is there. They want the crowd to disperse. They want Jesus to come home. They want everything to settle. And Jesus says back to them and sends word back to them. He answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's showing us that He's the Messiah. and He cannot and will not be defined by earthly relationships with parents. Not on physical terms. A relationship with Jesus was not some special privilege just for Mary. And thank God for what Mary did. The sacrifice, she's commendable. But a relationship with Jesus wasn't just for Mary and His brothers. But you and I, thousands of years later, get to experience the same intimacy with our Savior. How? When you do the will of God and you listen to His Word and you do it. We have a special relationship with Jesus. Luke chapter 11, Jesus was walking through a city and a woman in the company lifted up her voice. And said with a loud voice, Blessed is the womb who bear thee and the paps which has given thee sucked. Jesus says, No, rather, blessed are those that hear the word of God. Earlier he said, Do it and keep it. Do you keep the word? I feel the Holy Ghost here. You know, we want some magic formula. Preacher, pray for me. Prophesy to me. I need to get to a good hot, red hot revival. And look, I understand. I've been there. I'm telling you right now, you can take that book. You can open that word. And you can find everything you need right there. Like I know times we need encouragement. I've been there. But I'm telling you, it wasn't because God wasn't there already. I may have needed the encouragement, but guess what? I also know God's word is true. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. James would say, don't be only hearers, but doers. John 8, if you continue my word, you're going to be my disciple. If you love me, keep my commandments. What I want to show you here this morning is this. Depending on how you hear the Word of God is how you are going to withstand the storms of life. If you'll hear me this morning, the very thing standing between you and destruction is you listening and doing the Word of God. Go to Matthew chapter 7. I want to show you this. You already know it. Children often sing about it. Matthew 7 and 24. Matthew 7 and 24. Listen to what it says. Look in your Bibles. Matthew 7 and 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him a wise man which built his house upon a rock. 
and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat upon the house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Verse 26. Again, notice here. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Notice, same storm. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine, for He taught with authority. I want you to notice this, because we sing about it sometimes, our kids sing about it. You know, uh, you'll find this a little comical recently. My daughter was sitting there at the kitchen table and have had to get on her several times that day. And her conscience was disturbing her. And she's sitting there. She said, oh, I built my house on the sand. <laughs> I said, sweetie, don't take it that far. I said, I wouldn't destroy, you know, I don't think you destroyed her. You know. And tears in her eyes, she built her house on the sand. Yeah, I miss her too. <laughs> but in reality, it's this simple. And I want you to hear me. Because I believe in these last days. I believe this year, some folks' foundation has been revealed. In my own church. <laughs> Woo! I found some things I need to preach on, Brother Woods. <laughs> they had it right externally, but something internally won't write. <laughs> Why? Because I believe with this parable here, the idea is this. These two men are in the same location, same area. I believe it's the same storm. The same exact storm. But what has produced different results? One heard and built and did and kept. The other would not hear. And as I believe it says in the book of Luke, the one that heard, it says he dug down deep. And found a rock. I believe it's safe to say this morning that those who exert true spiritual effort are those that hear. And the ones that are just trying to get by and skirt by and do the most little, the littlest and the quickest and just try to get by are simply those who will not hear. What is this, Brother Derek? True hearers are going to be true workers who's going to be on the true foundation, who is going to stand in the last day. You got any more evidence? The book of Revelation's got plenty. I could spend a lot of time right here. Jesus is dealing with those churches, and what does He tell them several times? He that hath an ear, let him hear. Says it time and time and time again. Oh, I'm not going to be much longer. I want to do some praying. I want to spend some time in these altars. But I want you to think about that. Because brothers and sisters, you don't know what's coming our way. Come on. We, America's not as strong as everybody wants to think it is. We live in a fallen world and this is a fallen nation. We are living in a post-Christian America. Look, I voted, all right? I'm hoping for the best. 
But Trump evangelicalism is not what the church needs. Come on. The golden calf of politics is not what we need. We need to hear. We need to hear. We're fragile. Come on. I don't want to act too tough now. Let's just be honest with you. Are you hearers of the word? Three months ago, you couldn't even get toilet paper. We're fretting about things like that. I'm telling you right now, the more we get towards the, towards the rapture of the church, America can become a third world nation. We don't know. We don't know what's going to, there's got to be a shift in the, in, in, the, in the superpowers of this world for the Antichrist and all those things. We're going to see some shifts in these last days. And depending on if you're here or not, if you're going to stand or not. Just think about our children. If you want your children to be hearers, you better be a hearer. Got mom and dads that do not hear and do the word of God and they don't keep it. God help us. I've thought to myself many times that church will get families come in. And I'm telling you, the kids will be out of control. And then you look at them parents and say, My, there's nothing there spiritually. I'm talking generationally. We are damned. Our nation is so wounded by this. Generationally of men and women who go to church and they have a Bible and they like the occasional meeting and they like Bible studies, but they do not hear the Word of God. Are you a hearer this morning? I'm going to tell you right now. Statistically, sadly to say, there'll some be sitting underneath the sound of my voice and some will go to hell. Think about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. In the intermediate state. That rich man is in torment, right? Abraham, if you could send Lazarus, talk to my brothers. Listen what Abraham says. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, they got everything they need to believe. They're not going to believe Lazarus if he raises from the dead. If you want to take it further, there was a Lazarus that did come up from the dead and some still wouldn't believe. Right? It all depends on how you hear. Hear.